This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Well, if you're joining us today live at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv, you will be joining the Halloween edition of Kelly and Rumia. Kelly and Rumia are only half here. Maybe you hear our voices, but we're not ourselves today, of course. In festivities, who wants to go first? Kelly, I go first? You go first. I go first. Okay. I am in Cruella costume, and I will tell you, uh, head to eh, halfway down what I'm wearing. <laughs> so, in spirit of Cruella, we have the iconic black and white hair, and this hair is fashioned as a bob right now. And we have the also iconic very green eyeshadow and arched eyebrows, very thick arched eyebrows of Cruella. We've got the red, red lipstick. I don't remember what I called it earlier. Might have been a little more profane than just red, red. Yeah, I can't say it ah. on there. Sorry. Uh, we got the fur coat because she is, of course, very fashionable with her fur that she collects from her Dalmatians from the 101 Dalmatians movies franchise. And we got the um, Dalmatian printed... Uh, I guess shirt as well under the fur coat and we got the red gloves that are you know mostly fitting my Cruella hands Kelly who are you today ah well I'm glad certainly that I'm not a Dalmatian I'm a tiger <laughs> man all set to leap right at you pounce I'm sitting here in the uh, haunted forest which is behind me with uh, spooky trees branches crows some pumpkins scattered around that might be a little hard to see but in the mode, I think what happened is, uh, like you said, we are not quite ourselves. And I think mm. probably lots of people cheering saying, yay, but I've been eaten by a tiger. <gasps> You've been eaten by a tiger. Yes, embodied. Ah, Literally. yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, we are not the only stars of the show today because we have lots of costumes, lots of photos, and lots of festivities coming your way that we will highlight throughout the show. It's a fun edition of Kelly and Ramya. Let's start off with a bit of a teaser of what's coming up on the show. We have our wellness chat with Francis Wong. And Francis, look at this, is going to deep dive into oral health. I wonder why, including <laughs> what to know about cavities. Oh. Wow, she's going to kill the mood before everybody gets their trick-or-treat <laughs> racket on. Uh, also on the show, Chantel Archibald, communications director for the Vancouver Humane Society, is going to be talking to us about uh, promoting animal safety and welfare this Halloween. And all this fun includes a little bit of reading. We're going to be reviewing on our book club chat today, Holly by Stephen King, perfect for October 31st, and of course recommended by Greg David, the ultimate Stephen King fan himself. A ghastly fellow himself, spooky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So we love traditions here on the show. Uh, we were contemplating about whether it's still called it the seven-year anniversary of, of the original Kelly and Company, now K&R. But we love tradition, so let's bring back the Halloween tradition. Annually, we have our visit with the Count, and he is not skipping this visit. 
Welcome, Count. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very well, thank you. Very well. It's a uh... It's great to be here. It's a, it's a, it's an anniversary for me as well to be here. So oh, I yes. enjoy it so much. Oh, of course. And you know, uh, we can't have you here without describing a little bit of what's going on screen as you join us, because of course we're on TV now, Count. Of course, yes. You know, I sent a, a photo because I thought everyone has to see the handsomeness of the Count when oh. I come on. Oh, for sure. And you didn't oh, yeah. want us yeah. to but, see uh, it live. Are you busy? <laughs> well, you, you know, I'm very busy today. It's a very busy day for mm. me. But, well, but you know, I'm busy putting the bite on people. Yeah. It's not <laughs> I, in his best condition. It's, it's my job. But you know what, what happened is for this photo, I'll describe it for the audience. I, I was in front of the, the, my scary house with the, the bats flying from the house. Those are all my friends flying from the house. And there's a, the, my cape is pulled in front of my head and you see my obviously scary eyes and and well, I'm, 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 in, I'm scared. You can tell. I'm the count is scared. But what happened is Mrs. Count took the picture right after I saw the standings for the Edmonton Oilers in the oh. NHL. And I, oh, oh and it, wow. you can, you can tell. I, I was very frightened, scary, very scary, very scary. And you know what? Uh, I didn't even get to ask you how impolite of us about your friend Jim Crisco. How's he doing? Have you checked on him in a while? Oh, Jim is doing very well. He's he's getting a, a costume together too, so he could go trick or treating mm. tonight because he likes his candy as well. Mm. Wow, wow! And I bet once in a while you buzz by his place, don't you? Absolutely. You know, I drop in every once in a while. He watch a, a hockey game with him and or a football game, and he gives me generic beer. I don't believe it. Like you know, you think he'd <laughs> give me something name brand, but whatever. He's a nice guy. He's a, Blood he's beer. a pretty wow. nice guy. Yeah, uh, he did. Even though he couldn't join us live, it's so strange how you two never show up at the same time. We've been asking every year, but nonetheless, same town even. Honestly, yeah. But anyway, he did send us a um, his Halloween festivities i guess things that he's been up to and making sure the children are still coming to his house for trick-or-treating so let's take a look at what he's got going on beware of jim crisco's spooky graveyard jim has gathered many spooky props in his front yard he really went all out this year and we love it from glowing skeleton heads coming up from the ground to gray tombstones belonging to the one and only Dracula, and many more spooky bits and gory pieces. Let's check out the hilarious and scary skeleton riding a horse attached to an old-style carriage with a glowing light. The piercing red eyes of our blown-up skeleton friend are surely going to give our trick-or-treating kids a scare this year. Ooh, and we can't forget the creepy, smiling skeleton in the foreground of the photo, giving us that giant, wide grin. Watch out for the wicked witch and skeleton with the blazing headlights to top it all off. Oh. Wow. I'm spooked Ooh. out. Ooh. Man, don't go around that neighborhood. No. It scares me. I, I I don't go there during this time of year. You know, the big <laughs> the big cat, it, its head moves. It's oh. very scary. Very scary. Not even for the full-size chocolate bars I'm hearing Jim's going to give out? 
Well, you know, for those, yes, you go, of course. And <laughs> probably you say, kind you, of in, your, in your year. case, you send your wife, right? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe some of these soul cakes. Hey, there are these uh, fascinating things that happen around the world, eight traditions that hopefully we'll get to throughout the show count. And one of these traditions is the giving of soul cakes. Okay, soul cakes are small, round cakes baked for Halloween. They're given to children who uh, come around, they sing and pray for the souls of the dead. And this was widespread across England at one point. And in some areas, those who went from house to house would actually carry a horse's head on a stick. And they called it an old pop, which you don't want to bump into in the dark. Anyways, it's a real old tradition. It's uh, traced back to the medieval period in England, and it still exists in some countries, mainly in the Philippines and in Portugal. Anybody wow. want a soul cake? Yeah. Not so much. Anybody no, got no, some souls they want to pray for? Okay, maybe I'd our souls. Have, uh, some, I'd rather have some of his blood beer. Okay. <laughs> the Count, thank you so much for joining us. Maybe next time you'll bring Jim around with you. Well, thank you so much. I so much enjoy it every year. It's it's the highlight of my year, which once again mm. sounds sadder when you say it out loud. But of it's course. it's a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Oh, we have a lot That'll of fun. That'll scare you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we're the best part of his year. Ooh, scary stuff. The cat. Scary. Maybe he'll say hi to Jim Crisco for us, even though Jim hasn't been here to join us. And after the break, we are going to say hi to Dr. Danielle Johnkind, our veterinarian. She has got scary stuff planned for us as well. The top... 10 scary things that you have to learn in order to become a veterinarian. We'll be back with that on Kelly and Ramya. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. In our first picture, we have David Dennis dressed as an alien. In photo two, we have Victoria Gretsch dressed as a French bedbug, wearing a French beret, smoking a cigarette, and has four legs hanging from her back. Awesome. Photos three and four, it's time to get the cats involved. Eliza's cats to be exact. Simon Tabby Cat wearing a chicken outfit. And Tom Black Cat is wearing a pumpkin outfit. They don't look impressed. Our fifth picture, we have Danny, Harry, and Charlotte from Ireland. Danny is in a purple dinosaur outfit. Harry is dressed in a purge outfit. And Charlotte is a pretty Princess Peach in a pink dress. So cute! Okay, mm -hmm. we have so many more submissions like this. When we uh, go through the show, you will hear some descriptions of fantastic photos that people have sent in of their own costumes, of decor and other Halloween festivities that they've gotten up to. And we're very excited on Kelly and Ramia to share all of this with you. I'm Ramia, a.k.a. Cruella. Kelly McDonald is also here. He's been eaten by a tiger. And uh, before we bring on Dr. Danielle Johnkind for Ask a Veterinarian, another tradition around the world. This is more familiar to people, I believe. It's called Dia de Muertos. And this is a Mexican tradition uh, that has become very known across the world because of the bright and elaborate costumes that people wear around the entire festival. And in order to remember the souls of the dead relatives that people have, people pray and they celebrate life. 
altars are actually built in people's homes of the deceased, and they cover um, altars with flowers and favorite things of the people who've passed. The graves of the dead are also maintained, and gifts are left for the spirits in case they visit. It's very cheerful. It's a colorful time very of generous. time. Very generous. And it's a celebration overall. Let's bring on Dr. Danielle Johnkind for Ask a Veterinarian. Whether they provide us with companionship and income, food, or serve a critical role in the ecosystems that support us, animals are vital to human health. Have fun with us as we learn about animal-related topics and about the amazing bond we share with our animal friends. So Danielle, it's spooky season once again, and Halloween is here. Dr. Danielle Johnkin, you are going to tell us, uh, give us one of your more popular top 10 lists. And this time, it's the top 10 things that you have to learn or had to learn in order to become a veterinarian. How intriguing. Yes. Well, you know, it's actually the top 10 scariest things oh. you had to learn to become a veterinarian. <laughs> I, so, I forgot you the know, operative word. Yes. I was going to say, <laughs> wow, it's Halloween. <laughs> Come on, Ramia. <laughs> scary is just a given now. Does that scary between yes. all the words? <laughs> this is true. This is true. So if you don't hear it, it's implied. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, I hear a lot from clients that they, you know, or a relative, you know, they always wanted to become a veterinarian. And of course, you know, the idea of snuggling cute puppies all day and kittens and heroically saving animal lives, you know, of course, it appeals to a lot of people. And I mean, who wouldn't want to do that, really, you know, but. While there are definitely days that that kind of great stuff happens, you know, the reality is that, you know, the veterinary profession faces its fair share of challenging and scary days, too. And, of course, um, those challenges start in vet school. And you might be surprised how scary it is to learn some of the skills a vet needs when you're a veterinary student. Um, It's not something that people always consider when choosing vet medicine as a career. So without any further ado, you know, we'll just talk about some of those scary things. So uh, on number 10 on my list is trimming nails. So judging... Judging by the number of comments I get from clients that tell me they are terrified to trim their pet's nails, you know, I think this is one that a lot of people will identify with. And as I've mentioned on the show previously, you know, there really is no course in how to trim nails in vet school. At least there wasn't when I graduated. And, you know, so you're armed only with the knowledge of anatomy, a pair of nail trimmers, and a little jar of quick stop powder. (laughs) Vet students and new grads are just sort of expected to sink or swim. Get out there and trim those nails, people. Um, Every yelp from a nail trim too short is a potential scar on your soul. (laughs) And you have to force yourself to believe in the power of blood to clot. So, you know, as a new Uh. grad, there's... Also, the concern that a bad nail trim will destroy your fledgling reputation in the eyes of a client, you know, so it can be some scary stuff indeed. (laughs) Wow, a little more to lose out than a bad haircut. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Hair grows back. Well, so do nails, I suppose. That's Mm. that's a good analogy. (laughs) So number nine. Sorry, Mm -hmm. Ramya, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say it is one of the scariest things, vet or not, to deal with nails, but carry on. Well, number nine is learning to discuss finances, you know, um, with some exceptions, veterinary medicine, of course, is a business and people do have to pay for the services of a veterinarian. 
And of course, we all know if a business cannot recoup its expenses and provide an income for its owner, it can't stay open. But, you know, it's sometimes really difficult to grapple with this reality when you're faced with, you know, a client with financial difficulties and an animal that needs medical care. So, you know, learning to do that, you know, and talking about the financial aspects of the job can be really scary when you're new to the profession, Mm. you know. And so that's something that I think a lot of people don't think about either. That's a fair point. And it's just because of the uncomfortable conversations, you got to like rip band-aids off sometimes, but also negotiations and things like that come into play, right? Yeah, and making sure that you do the best that you absolutely can for that pet, you know, within what the owner is able or willing to do. So, you know, it it definitely is like a real skill that you have to pick up for sure. Mm -hmm. Your next one, Danielle, creeping us out. Taking on the mantle (laughs) of professional responsibility. Oh, And, you know, this is another one I'm not really sure that a lot of people consider. And, you know, there's a lot of personal responsibility that comes with being a vet. So, you know, when you're a student, you know, your teachers are responsible for every wrong thing that you do. But once you graduate, you take that on yourself. And that can actually be a little bit scary until you get used to it. I mean, you know, when you think about it, like what if you are wrong about a diagnosis or you miss some piece of information in the medical record and, you know, there can be really serious consequences for a pet's health if you're wrong about something. And, you know, so that's one thing, but you're also responsible for your behavior. So no matter how angry or upset you are about a situation, you must never be unprofessional in your interactions with people. You know, you really do have to learn to suspend your judgment, you know, find that empathy and be calm and rational under Mm. sometimes some really scary or difficult circumstances. That's a lot of stress. It can be, you know, you you kind of get used to it. Yeah, at first, you know, until you develop those kinds of skills, you know, some things you can really only learn on the job. It gets, you know, easier Mm -hmm. as time goes on. So number seven, um, one I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, and that is poking needles into bodies. (laughs) You know, we sort of take it. Yes, yes, it is. And we sort of take it for granted, you know, that vets are not squeamish about poking bodies with sharp things. And of course, it's true, we are not. But however, recall that we weren't born as veterinarians, you know, Um, and you can picture the very first time a student has to get a blood sample from a dog, you know, they've probably worked in vet clinics or, you know, seen it done a million times. They've probably even held dogs for the procedure and have all the knowledge they need to know where to find a vein. But this is the first time they are wielding the needle personally and they have to confront that innate horror that we all have of sharp things, right? And when you think about poking sharp things into bodies, you know, your first thought is, this is just wrong, you know? Mm. I just don't want to do this. And I remember the first time that I had to do it, I remember some distant part of my subconscious crying crying out, wait a minute, we're going to do what? Really? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh, and it's not like the dog or cat can tell you, hey, hey, ow, or anything, and you feel even worse. Yeah, it's a skill too, right? Knowing how the pet may react and what kind of tricks you have up your sleeve to distract them and things like that. You know, things you've shared with us over the years. Yeah, and definitely that comes with experience as well. You Mm -hmm. know, it's quite helpful. 
So number six is anesthesia. So, I mean, the art of taking away pain and anxiety is a wonderful part of modern veterinary medicine. And thanks to modern anesthetics, our training and techniques, you know, it's the safest it has ever been. And of course, as a student, your brain knows all of that. But, you know, there is this quiet fear that every vet student has to face and overcome. Am I sure this animal is going to wake up again if I do mm. you know? Oh, and, yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, when you're in school and you see anesthesia and, and that, you, you know, it seems like some kind of a miracle when they do wake up. And honestly, you know, it is, you know, not because it's unsafe, but because, you know, it's just amazing the things that right. you know, we can do in modern medicine. But, um, you know, when... Uh, you have to kind of wait a little bit before that miracle becomes an everyday occurrence for you. You're like, okay, okay, it's good. I know what I'm doing. It's all good. Right. Oh, boy. I think, too, I don't know why, but anesthesia felt very scary uh, in consideration for pets, even just over myself or, like, you know, human beings. I, I'm not sure what it is, but they're just so vulnerable, especially coming out of it. And... um yeah, I'm thinking of when Glasgow got neutered and, and the anesthesia part of it was very scary. Yeah. And I hear that from a lot of clients, you know, and and so, I mean, again, you know, when you're learning these sort of skills, right, Yeah. Um, you know, you, you really do have to kind of confront some of these scary things because, again, we weren't born as veterinarians, right? Mm, and so, no, you know, no. we do understand when clients say, oh, it's really scary, you know, because, yeah, the, again, you know, we understand that, right? We've had yeah. to overcome that too. And number five, of course, is surgery, you know. Um, so, of course, with surgery, we run into that similar version that we had with needles, only it's way worse, you know. Mm. As any medieval warrior facing a sword could tell you, cutting bodies open is risky. <laughs> so, you know, as a vet student, you've done all your studying for anatomy, you've read, reread, memorized, and practiced all the surgical techniques. You've practiced the suturing, you've handled your surgical instruments, and you've even done maybe post-mortems and practiced on cadavers. But the first time that you're facing cutting open a living anesthetized animal, you know, no, no matter how prepared you are, it's just a little bit scary. <laughs> no kidding. Daniel, we're going to have to pause there because we've completely run out of time. But this oh, list no. goes on, and I know, I know. This list goes on, and these are actually very scary things. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. This list is legit. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we could do a scary thing for Halloween. Mm. Yeah, as usual. Oh, it, I'll always have earmarked, though, that one list you did around Halloween where you were yep. shoulder deep into something. Where mm -hmm. you were gory. And uh, Danielle, thank you. Uh, You're welcome. Danielle, happy Halloween. Danielle John Kind joins us at this time every week on the program for Ask a Veterinarian. After the break, we have our wellness chat with Frances Wong, and she's keeping us honest because we're talking oral health and cavities, how to maintain our teeth, because, of course, we're going to hang up after this and go eat a bunch of chocolate. Maybe. Maybe if you're feeling like it after this conversation. We'll be right back. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. We are going 
going through interesting and unique traditions around the world celebrated around Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, the Day of the Dead, however you want to refer to this time of year. But you've ever heard of hiding things in the barmbrack? Okay, so... This is from Ireland. Barmbrek is a tasty Irish bread. I wouldn't know, but I'm willing to give it a try. Filled with fruit and often filled with or served with a cup of tea. And in the 18th century, barmbreks were baked ready for Halloween, each containing a ring, a pea, a stick, a coin, and a rag. Sounds pretty gross. But anyway, there's a reason to this. If you were served a slice containing a ring, you were bound to get married soon. And the P, which means the opposite, the weddings are not in your cards. If you mm. got a stick, it was foretold that you were going to have a troubled marriage. And the rag predicted a life of poverty for the recipient. I mean, tons of superstition here. The coin meant that you were going to become rich. Um... Barmbracks are still traditional around Halloween in Ireland, but they're no longer filled with all of this stuff. Sometimes a coin will be baked into the loaf, and this is just for the fun of kids trying to find it and uh, who gets it first. Um, I'm thinking I'll have a bite without any of the above, especially because I do find this superstition a little scary. Well, if you bite the uh, coin nowadays, it might damage your teeth. Ooh, good point. Damage Maybe we mess can... up your oral health there. Maybe. We're going to have to find out more about it, though. Let's bring on the wellness chat we have planned for you with Francis Wong. Hello, I'm Francis Wong, and I invite you to join me as we explore topics of health and wellness so that you can make the best choices for you to live an informed and radiant life. Francis, very obvious reason I think you're bringing up this topic for <laughs> health and wellness today. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to ask why you picked it because really it's that time of year when pumpkins and witches can be found decorating homes and children are going to be out trick-or-treating for Halloween candy. And of course what comes to mind, if we're actually willing to think about it, is the cavities. It also starts mm -hmm. with C. Not candy, Candy, though. corn, rockets, candy, everything. rocket, yeah. So we're talking about oral health today. That's right. Um, yes, every time Halloween rolls around, I'm thinking it's the right time to talk about our mouth and our <laughs> teeth as oral care is an important part of our overall health. Last year, we talked about when it's time to change our toothbrush and other fun facts. And this year, we're going to take a, a broader approach and look at oral health from a global perspective. So I'm going to kick things off by asking you how much of the world's population do you think is affected or suffer from oral diseases? And let's use the World Health Organization's definition of oral disease uh, so that we're talking about the same thing. So oral diseases include a range of conditions, including cavities or more formally known as dental caries gum disease, tooth loss, oral cancer, oridental trauma, and birth defects like a cleft palate, a lip or palate. So do you guys have a guess? Like everybody? Mm. I don't know, like 95%? Oh, I was going to say about <laughs> 70, 70%. Mm. Especially if you're talking uh, cavities. Yeah, so... Not quite, but so on our, our talk about hearing loss, I mentioned that globally 2.2 billion people have some form or of mm. near or distance vision impairment and that over 5% of the world's population or 430 million people have some disabling hearing loss. While those numbers are high, it doesn't compare at all to oral disease, which affects nearly half of the world's population, or 3.5 billion people. And in this figure, three out of every four affected person lives in a low or middle income country. That's what I was thinking too, my goodness. Well, Francis, 
for us, what are some of the ways that we can prevent cavities and gum disease other than, of course, making sure we are brushing our teeth regularly, which I'm sure for some parts of the world just can't, isn't possible. Well, here are a couple of astounding facts from the World Health Organization. We know that having holes in our teeth aren't a good thing, and untreated cavities is the most common condition affecting an estimated 2.5 billion people globally. Severe gum disease can lead to tooth loss, which is not only unsightly, but we need our teeth to be able to chew and digest our food. And about 380,000 new cases of oral cancers are diagnosed every year. The good news is that most oral health conditions are preventable and can be treated if caught early enough. Now, dental care is totally a totally separate issue because it's expensive and it's usually not right. included in our health care plan unless you have extended mm -hmm. benefits. But if I told you, what if I told you that you are the captain of your ship and you can have a big impact on how your oral health care is even before you see a dentist? I'm not saying it's necessarily easy, but you can definitely help with maintaining the best oral health you can by watching your diet. I think that I talk about either the importance of sleep or diet in every segment because of how important these things are to our health. And here we are again. In this case, you want to minimize your chances of getting cavities. Uh, you want to stick with a low sugar or no sugar diet. And the reason is twofold. One, sugar can cause tooth decay. When we eat our food, the bacteria in our mouth go into a feeding frenzy as well and start to eat the leftover food that's stuck on our teeth. They love the sugars. And when the bacteria breaks down the sugar, they leave behind a sticky acidic film, which we know as dental plaque. And if we don't remove the plaque by regularly brushing, it can harden into tartar, which we cannot remove by brushing or flossing. We need to go to the dentist at that point to have it removed and we if we don't remove it then we that can lead to cavities or even worse down the line tooth loss the other reason that there is a causal link between consuming high amounts of sugar and non-communicable diseases like diabetes and obesity so by watching our diet we can kill two birds with one stone mm -hmm. so you talked about the no sugar, low sugar, and, and obvious reasons why sugar is not great for our oral health. But are there foods other than sugar that we should be minimizing or avoiding uh, to prevent these cavities? Yes. So it's unavoidable to get plaque buildup due to eating, but acidic foods are the worst. Sometimes um, something that people don't often think about is what we can drink can have a big impact on our health as well. We have probably heard that too much soda or juice isn't good for us as they're often high in sugar. And I'm not talking about green juice drinks here. But did you know that even carbonated water like San Pellegrino is not great for our teeth? Yeah. Carbon dioxide. Oh, yeah. Carbon Dioxide in the water creates the fizz in carbonated drinks, and a chemical reaction in your mouth turns that into carbonic acid, which gives the drink the fizz, but also makes the drink more acidic. When people are sipping carbonated water and swirling it around in their mouth, it's like giving your teeth an acid bath. And as we know, acid wears away at our teeth. Right. So I mentioned sugar already, but you'll also want to avoid um, or at least minimize certain dairy products, grains, alcohols, and some meats as those foods are especially acidic or more so than greens. So instead, focus on vegetables and fruits, beans and lentils. There are exceptions to the rules, but for the most part, you'll be on track. Okay. So then is it helpful to brush your teeth right after you eat? The logical response would be yes, right, Kelly? Yeah. That's the idea is that you, 
Yeah, the idea is that you want to remove the food from your teeth before the plaque forms. And with certain foods like pastas and breads, you can brush away to stop acid attacks before they begin. So dentists generally recommend brushing your teeth at least twice a day for two minutes each time, one in the morning after breakfast so that you're starting your day with a clean mouth, and the other is right before bed so that you can go to bed as plaque-free as possible. Some people like to brush their teeth after every meal or snack, but did you know that there is actually a time that you don't want to do this? And that is if you've eaten or drank something acidic. The point of brushing is to prevent acid attacks on your teeth, but if you've just consumed something acidic, then it's already too late and it's recommended that you wait before brushing. So our teeth has this outer protective hard layer called the enamel. And what happens is acidic foods and drink leave the enamel on your teeth soft and vulnerable. And then if you brush right away, you may end up brushing off your enamel. By waiting and you want to give it at least 30 minutes, the enamel has a chance to reharden so that if you brush after that, you're not taking off a layer of your tooth. And how do we know if our enamel is worn down? Are there ways that we can tell? Yeah, so um, I've mentioned many times before that our body is constantly giving us feedback if we're just paying attention. So in this case, some signs of enamel erosion can include sensitivity to cold or hot foods. And I'm not saying that this is always the reason, but if you do tend to have sensitive teeth, this could be one possible cause. And another way to tell is if your teeth become darker or more yellow. And I realize that some of the listeners may not be able to see this for themselves, but you can ask a close family friend or uh, when you go to your dentist next time get them to check for you so enamel is that white shiny layer on our teeth so if your enamel is a worn away it will expose the dentin which is the bulky main structure of the tooth okay so francis i'm aware that there are about 380,000 new cases of oral cancer diagnosed each year are there ways to kind of minimize the chances of getting this oral cancer Yes. So of those 380,000 cases worldwide, 50,000 of those will be American. And oral cancer can cover cancer of the lips, tongue, gum, cheek, floor of the mouth, and the hard and soft palate. While most people think of lung cancer, when the discussion of smoking comes up, the biggest risk factor in oral cancer is tobacco use, whether it's smoking it or chewing it. So if that is something that you are doing, reducing your risk of lung or oral cancers are a pretty good reasons to quit it. Mm. And how is oral health related to our overall health? Because there are some potentially surprising ways that oral health can, uh, you know, can settle into other parts of our body, other organs, and other developments. Mm-hmm. So without proper brushing and flossing, bacteria in our mouth can multiply out of control and lead to oral infections such as tooth decay and gum disease. And if you have health conditions that require you to take medication, some medication can reduce your saliva flow. Saliva is so important because it helps wash away any food in your mouth and neutralizes the acids that the bacteria produce. With less saliva, again, the bacteria can multiply out of control. Dr. Watanabe's study at the University of Illinois showed that exposure to periodontal bacteria can initiate the formation of senile plaques that are found in Alzheimer's patients. And she has also linked exposure to periodontal bacteria and the development of prediabetes in mice. We don't have time to go over all the diseases linked to oral health, but these are all reasons to take care of our teeth and gums. And now you know the best thing to do for your 
teeth is brushing them after snacking on those sugary Halloween treats tonight. Mm. Yes, exactly. You said earlier that it was the right time of year, and I was thinking, yeah, but if you're not feeling like talking about oral health, it's really the wrong time of year. But obviously, Francis, it's, <laughs> you know, and, and it's not just Halloween, but going into the winter, I think there's just so much of the the carbs and more or less, you know, eating, I don't know. Yeah, it just feels like you're eating more through the winter. The constant food mm-hmm. surrounding us. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And drinks and drinks. I, I mean, I don't yep. think a lot of us realize that acid and yep. what it does. Craving of sugar it, too. Yeah. And carbs. All right, Francis, thank you. Thank you. We will keep it all in mind. Talking oral health and cavities with Francis Wong no, on our wellness won't. segment. We will. You know what you're going to do. Put cotton in your ear and continue eating all that <laughs> discounted a, candy you're getting tomorrow. Take a break while we're having the Halloween candy, and then we'll come back right to thinking about it, obviously. <laughs> um, and, yeah, she'll be back uh, in two weeks. And opposite her, we have nutrition with Julia Carancha. So somebody will remind us to think about this again. After the break, we're talking to uh, Jacob Bashan about his comedy show, Free Candy, and it's taking place tonight at the Comedy Bar in Toronto. Sounds like a super fun show. We're going to learn all about it on Kelly and Ramia. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Here's a collection of staff members in costume over the years. In our first picture, Jeff in a Ninja Turtle onesie, Kelly is a bone collector, Rumya as a terrifying nun, Matt in a skeleton onesie. In our second picture, Nizreen in a space woman costume, Rumya as the nun again. Picture three has Kelly as a priest. Actually, that was Friar Tuck, folks. Heather as a medieval woman, Matt as Robin Hood, Don is King Arthur in our fourth picture. Andy as a cowboy and Don is Corella. Picture five has Heather, the Queen of Hearts. Picture six as we move on. Andrika as a ballerina. Jeff Ryman as a ninja turtle in that onesie. Kevin Filippapilli in a very colorful Dino onesie. Andy as the cowboy. Niz back as the space woman. Ramya as the nun. And Kelly, returning as the bone collector. Sam Robinson, a pilot from Top Gun. Matt in the skeleton onesie. Don is Corella. In our seventh picture that we've got for you. Heather in a Japanese robe. Victoria as a dead doll. Daniel Panamondo as a scarecrow. And Don as a witch. In our eighth picture, Heather as Ursula. In this picture, Matt in a skeleton onesie, Dan is the doctor, Kelly as a Viking, Don is a, and I don't remember that one, Don as a witch, Ramya as Minnie Mouse, Kevin in the colorful Dino onesie, and Andy as Elvis. I love all the people who got called out for onesies. Is I the only one who noticed Elvis that? Elvis left <laughs> the building, yeah. Well, it's because Don didn't supply them all costumes. Oh, I'm no. sorry. Did I say that out loud? The onesie people were corn, like they were put in a corner. It was almost like they were on timeout when we had to do photos. Like, yeah, okay, now the onesies yeah. come out. It was just the exactly. way to get them to participate. My yeah. good heavens. The bare minimum, funny. Jeff Ryman. 
the bare minimum. And he's in the several of them. Like, he jumps right into oh, the yeah. pictures, but he's several of them, right? I think Matt made a comeback without a onesie at one point, like a proper costume, but Jeff, well, no. yeah. Only onesies Because he was Robin Hood, right? But <laughs> once again, Don, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Don. <laughs> Look, I love Folks, the uh, recycling of the Cruella costumes. All right, go ahead. Well, that's what I was noting, too. Mm. Um, I just wasn't going to say anything about that, Cruella. <laughs> Do you want a funny, rather than scary Halloween? Free Candy at the Comedy Bar in Toronto is a Halloween-themed comedy show featuring uh, Bria Hebert and Jacob Bolshan from Just for Laughs. Plus, tons of the city's sweetest comedians. Host Jacob Bolshan has got all the details as he hangs out with us now. We welcome Jacob to Kelly and Rumya. Appreciate it, sir. Uh, happy Halloween, first of all. And can you introduce yourself to the uh, audience watching on and tell us a little bit about yourself and most importantly, too, your comedy. Thank you for having me. Happy Halloween. Um, Thank you. My name's Jacob. I do comedy in Toronto, and we have a show tonight, and we need people. We need people. It will be scary. That is a lie. It'll be scary, too. We'll be real scary. Uh, we'll say crazy things, and we'll give you free candy. So Yum. that's the show. But me, I'm a comedian in Toronto who makes very little money, so I need you to come so I can pay rent. I'm not going to lie, the back. first time you said we need people, I heard we eat people, and I was like, that's fitting. There you go, scary. Yeah. It's all scary. Freudian slip. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it was. And bring candy, too, by the way, while you're at Did we say bring candy to yourselves? <laughs> I'm going to bring candy. We For called us. the show Free Candy, which is, uh, I regret doing it because now I have to go out and buy candy. You have to, or else it's false advertising. <laughs> exactly. Romeo will show you all the places where all the cheap stuff is. Yeah, but that's really? tomorrow. It's not going to help you today. <laughs> No, yeah, I'm on the worst day for offering free candy. It's going to be know. marked up, if anything. And exactly. selection's going to be low. They'll see Jacob coming, and out comes the sign, hey, mark those up. Here he comes. Yeah. Um, and I'm just giving it out for free. Can you believe that? I know. Cool spot, the comedy bar. Uh, do you perform there often? Yeah, I love the comedy bar. If you've never been at, there's two locations now. There's one on the Danforth, and there's one on Bloor in the West End. And it right. truly is one of the best places to do comedy in the city. And the owner is so nice to the comedians. Nice. So what you said, you know, you don't make enough money doing comedy, but why do you love it? How long have you done it? I've been doing comedy for seven years. And honestly, I was making enough money and then everything got so expensive. So I don't think I make enough money anymore, but Clearly. I don't have a day job. So who knows? <laughs> so tell us about free candy outside of the free candy. What can we expect at the show tonight? Because we want to come support um, you. We've booked some of our favorite people, just some amazingly funny comedians from around the city. Uh, and honestly, I have no, I don't know anything. I, I know basic level Halloween knowledge, but Halloween isn't my thing. With comedy, you got to pair your comedy with something because no one wants to regularly see stand-up comedy. So it's Halloween, come see stand-up comedy. Right. It's going to be the exact right. so, same though. <laughs> so Halloween's not your favorite. So were you that kid that didn't go out or when did you become, I don't want to say anti-Halloween, but disgruntled? I think when I started stand-up, I loved Halloween as a kid, but then once you start stand-up comedy, it's really hard to go out wearing a costume on Halloween because I'm going to do comedy tonight, and it's really hard to bomb when you're like a chef or something. Right. Wow, and you also have some it's jerks that will pick on you for wearing onesies, right, if you, if you cheap out that way? Mm. 
I actually respected all the onesies. You're, I'm going to defend your your coworkers and their onesies. Yeah. I, what a way to get around wearing pajamas to work. See, and that's the problem. It's a getting around <laughs> part that Don did not approve of. It's a, yeah, it's a good loophole. It is, it is. It's a loophole. Uh, okay, so we know in Toronto there's comedy all the time. Like, there's comedy happening every night. It's not unheard of that people are going to go watch uh, shows on a Tuesday night. Are you, like, does this feel regular for you? Is it regular for the comedy bar to have something on a Tuesday night? Comedy bar has shows every night of the week. If you're ever looking to go see a show, and the wild thing about comedy bars, it's all independently produced. So the show, I'm putting it on myself. Nice. You rent out the space. So any show you go see could either be the worst or best show you've ever seen. Is this your first time <laughs> no doing standard. this show? <laughs> best uh, or worst show? It's just no standard. <laughs> I booked the show, so I could have booked the worst comedians in the city if I wanted. Intentionally, right? right. Intentionally. We won't yeah. know unless we cut. Okay. You don't. That's the yeah. That's the scary part. Is this the first time? Is this the first time you're doing this show? This is the first time we're doing this show. I don't think we can do it again. Like, I mean, we probably could, but I think the <laughs> advertising like hook to it would be less. Less about okay. the free candy. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, no, so here's the little angle though. Um, what is the benefits of a funny rather than scary Halloween? Like. Are there that many disgruntled people you think will come through the door that, I hate Halloween, and come on in and want to sit and laugh? I think adults, I, I think people just want to do something. I think some people don't want to do something where they're socially obligated to talk or interact, and comedy is a wonderful art form for that, where you can just sit back and we're going to cover all the talking. Right. Mm. It's it's the ones that hide, you know, that turn their lights off. Nobody's here. Go find candy elsewhere. So they well, now they know they've got people know you're in home trick or treat. So they just leave and go watch comedy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Avoid the whole. It's thing. that bunch. Yeah, it's that bunch. Yeah. Now, are you going to be ripping on Halloween through the show, or is there some bit of love? Are you going to show up in I costume? Have no plan on it. I have no animosity towards Halloween. It's a wonderful holiday. Mm -hmm. I mean, listening to the previous guest tell me all the things that are going to happen to my teeth because of it, I'm a little terrified now. But other than that, I'm, I love Halloween. I just don't dress up. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, you can use some of that material if you run out of things tonight. I okay. might talk about it. We'll see. For sure. Oh, gosh, yeah. Do you think your audience will come in with that Halloween kind of spooky energy or a lot of costumes? Will you pick on them? Um, it's hard to say. I did a show on Saturday for a lot of people, and no one was in costume except for one of the comedians, which seemed pretty <laughs> embarrassing for them. Yeah, weird. Is it only <laughs> me or just... Come on, you wow, backed what up the onesies. Put, you got to back up the comedian. But, but what a way to put a target on your back, right? If you come in in the costume, because, you know, they, they might, you know, the heckling then begins. Yeah. I, people are pretty nice. I think that's uh, I think that's probably like a worse shows, but a comedy bar you can't really heckle. There's a security guard who will remove you from the show. Good. Oh, oh, good. Oh. Okay. Uh, how many people does the comedy bar seat? Like, what's the vibe there? Food, drink. There's two rooms. One of them is forty people. It's called the cab space, and the other one is the main space. It's about hundred and twenty, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I truly. Don't know which room we're in tonight because that's my vibe as a human. And there's a, <laughs> I think a cash bar. I can't remember now. Uh, no, they take sure. debit, credit. No? Okay. You, you can get drunk with whatever form of payment you have. Payment you want <laughs> on a Tuesday night. So on a Tuesday night show, 
what what is the feeling overall like like same time everything there's still that many people because we always start trying to pick out i'm sure when people are using the space or wanting to what night do i think i'm going to get the best crowd tuesday is like it's a whole different thing if i'm performing on a tuesday i'm probably working on my material because on a weekend you get paid you're doing more paid stuff on the road or stuff that you're actually right. making money on so you do have to get better throughout the week Tuesday is a great day to go watch a cheaper show. People are probably going to be in a very different mood. The audience is always a bit more tired because they've worked all day and they just wanted a break. Mm, it's very different. Wow. It's really interesting when you say that. It's, it's a good, this is the time where you try your stuff out. Yeah. Um, it's a Tuesday. We're trying yeah. stuff. Do you um, know off the top of your head, like, is every night a particular theme or, uh, you know, a I don't know, kinds of events happen at Comedy Bar, like uh, there's amateur a lot nights of and such? Events. Yeah, there's, um, if you want to go to specific shows tonight, uh, every Tuesday there's a show called 5 for 5. That's at 9.30. It's a wonderful weekly show. Uh, and then afterwards, if you want to try stand-up comedy, there's a show called The Bucket Show. It's uh, 11, and you put your name in a bucket. 12 names get picked out, and it's, like, packed. It's one of the best shows. That's fun. Wow. That's supportive too, and that, that must be a riot for just different people. And you never know if you come as you come off the stage, who's gonna say, "Hey, man, not bad," or "Ooh," you know. And and some of you guys that can can give some advisement. Uh, when when you're hanging out, Jacob, putting a show like this together, when you got the idea and stuff like that, um, well, how did you make your selections of who you wanted involved, and how did you run that off? And tell us also how to get tickets. Uh, well, Toronto, we have the like we have a wealth of talent when it comes to stand up comedy. So I have hundreds of friends I could just message and I just randomly selected three who I felt I owed spots to let's be honest and uh, they're nice. gonna be amazing and uh sorry what was the uh second oh, question just show up to get tickets or can we go online you What's can the best show way? up to get tickets or you can go at comedybar.ca uh you'll be able to find a ticket link for free candy oh, do you beautiful. enjoy the crowd work Jacob I love doing crowd work. I love doing any, like, I, I love stand-up comedy. I mean, I've given my whole life up for it, and uh, it, my life right now isn't that great just so I can do it, mm. and I love it. I don't know. Lovely. Yeah. But that's the thing. When you love something like that and the bug grabs you, you'll do whatever it takes. I mean, we joke about the money and everything like that, but it's really that getting in front of the, the crowd, doing your thing. That's that's a tremendous payment. Get to do the thing you love. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very rewarding in every way except for the financial aspect. Yeah, yeah, that's what we got to come out tonight, though. Yeah. Yeah, come on out. I'll get rich. Okay. Jacob, <laughs> thanks a lot, pal. Appreciate it. Good luck with the show. Happy Halloween or, or whatever you, so you guys much. decide the angle to take it tonight, pal. Appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you, sir. Uh, that was host Jacob Bulshan discussing his show today at the Comedy Bar uh, that's called Free Comedy, uh, Free Candy, excuse me, at the Comedy Bar in Toronto. Um, rum, like I think that's just so cool when you say, I'm going to try to do something like this on the fr most frightening night of the year, but we're going to laugh all night. Yeah. And I don't even mean having the black comedy, you know, the, the dark, mysterious, it's just fun. It's just fun. And like I said, it's Toronto. So every night there's comedy available to you. Might as well take your night to the comedy bar tonight. It'll be fun. Yeah.
Here's a preview of what's coming up in the second hour of Kelly and Ramia. We've got our book club because it's the last Tuesday of the month and we're reviewing Holly by Stephen King with recommender of the novel Greg David. Also, Chantal Archambault is joining us uh, to talk about the Vancouver Humane Society. We've got tips on promoting animal safety during Halloween. But up next, it's Remembrance Day around the corner. We want to remember all the things that are going on with community reporter Julie Martin in Pictou County, Nova Scotia. We'll be back. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Karen has sent us some amazing photos of her Halloween decorations. In the first picture, we see a spooky skeleton dressed in all black, five white ghosts circling him. In the background, we see pumpkins, scarecrows, and lots more. Next up, we have an incredible but creepy dollhouse. Where do we begin with this one? This black dollhouse has skeletons hanging from the windows, while a terrifying ghost is popping out from the balcony. It looks like one of the skeletons got such a fright, he's lost his legs. Talk about losing your head. With brooms and barricaded windows, this piece looks really the part. In the final photo, we have three witches surrounding a cauldron with bubbles, round lights dripping over the side. These witches are not to mess with. They're holding sticks with a skeleton head on top. There's a cage hanging from the tree with skeleton legs hanging out. It really looks amazing. I certainly wouldn't want to be in this neighborhood late at night. And we have to add that Karen managed to create almost all of these pieces from stuff she got at the dollar store. It just shows what a touch of creativity can get you without overspending on these props for the holiday. Shout out to Karen McGee mm, and Don mm. Dickinson, the queens of Halloween around here. Seriously. Yeah. yeah um, that's mm. wild. Like, really, it went, you think about all that work and the, and being able to do all that from the dollar store. I know. Ooh. I know. We know she's just absolute DIY, though. So much yeah. creativity and a no answer. No to any question uh, with Karen mm. McGee. This is the second hour of Kelly and Ramia that you're joining us for. I am Ramia, also Cruella today, with my uh, iconic white and black hair, the green eyeshadow, and ruby red lipstick, fur coat, and mm, Dalmatian spotted uh, uh, blouse. I still don't know what word to use for this. Anyways, shirt <laughs> underneath. Kelly, who are you? Uh, I am a tiger and wearing the onesie. I have my face uncovered. There is a little bit of a face to it, folks. But uh, on TV, you know, you kind of got to think of some of those things. Mm. And behind me, I'm hanging out in the haunted forest. So you've got some trees and ghastliness there. Lovely. Let's get to one uh, of these Halloween traditions. Again, these are unique Halloween traditions from around the world. And before we get to our community report, let's talk about Tang Chi. This is the tradition in China. And it's also known as the Ghost Festival. It marks the end of the Lunar New Year under the full moon. People hang lanterns outside their homes and businesses, creating a beautiful display of flickering lights every year. And in San Francisco, the 164 foot dragon lantern is erected and it dances in a parade accompanied by marching bands dancers and floats 160 foot 
My goodness. A lion dance can be part of the celebration as well, in which two men operate a huge lion puppet when they dance around the street with it. Uh, Tangchi is also called the Feast of the Hungry Ghost because it serves the and bids spirit a good journey to heaven. And as with good any good celebration, plenty of food is prepared, and it's also offered to the spirits of departed ancestors. Wow. Nice. Wow. Wow. That's really cool. We'd be there for the food, right? We'd be uh, there at yeah. the menu. And oh, yeah. see if we can climb on that giant puppet or something. But <laughs> Real big. Uh, folks, Monday through Wednesdays on the program, we visit with our community reporters. Today, we're visiting with uh, Julie Martin. Uh, it's been a bit since we've had you on the show. Julie, nice to have you back from Pictou County, Nova Scotia. Uh, really appreciate it. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween and happy Tuesday afternoon. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank yes, you it is kindly. that as well. <laughs> um, John Mullane. The Feels Like a Christmas Tour with special guest Alfie Zappacosta. Want to tell us about this? Yes, this is happening at the Glasgow Square Theatre in New Glasgow, uh, November 24th. Tickets are $44.70. Um, the show runs from 7 p.m. to 9.30. Doors open at 6. Um, John, well, both of them actually are very well-known, renowned Canadian artists. They've got Billboard topping chart um, songs. Um, John, I believe, has won a Juno as well as other um, musical awards. Um, he's a singer-songwriter. So this sounds like it's going to be just wonderful. Um, yeah. John is up first he's singing songs from his new up christmas album as well as old radio favorites um, of his and then i believe alfie's up and then they're doing as a finale they're doing um a thing together with along with a local choir so um kudos to them to get in you know the local community involved in their show and I'm just thrilled that they're honoring us with their presence in Pictou County this year. It's going Absolutely to be wonderful. a lovely evening. Yeah. And they're very talented um, guys, as you say, Julie. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, very. Uh, no snacks, but there is a bar. Oh. <laughs> but no food. <laughs> Bring no your candy. own chips, okay. though. Okay. Yeah. Bring your own chips. Yeah. 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 Uh, you're a huge, avid reader, Julie. Do you want to tell us about the oh, new yeah. Glasgow Library uh, CNIB social that's happening in November? They got a guest? Yes. We have our CNIB um, social that we have the last Friday of every month. Um, November is November 24th. Um, it's held in partnership with the library. There is food and refreshments there, Kelly. So you got to come visit us. Um, okay, there we this, go. Yeah, um, it's just a chance to get together and, you know, visit and learn from each other. And we're all at different um, places in the road on this journey. So, you know, we have all got something to learn and something to share and what have you. Um, our guest speaker this month, though, is um, Mark from Hadley. Um, I know I spoke about mm. Hadley last month that I'm doing learning Braille through them. Um, but Hadley has hundreds of programs they reach over a hundred countries worldwide um their mission is to you know personalize options opportunities so that um, people living with sight loss can thrive at home and work and in their own communities 
and I, what I like personally is because I am somebody that has lost sight later on in life, like a lot of people, um, it, it's, it's a learning curve and it's hard to know where to go and pride gets in your way. And we've talked mm. about that before. And the fact that Hadley comes to you, you don't have to go anywhere. So, right. you know, either by phone or online or mail, um, the opportunity is there for you to learn how to navigate this new world that we're all experiencing. And the more I've learned to navigate it, the more beautiful this world is becoming. Mm. I mean, it's just incredible. It really is. Um mm. Yeah, yeah, it, it really helps. I, I, um, I think as we get older, on. especially, hey, Julie, we, we really start to realize some of those things when our parents would make those comments of, oh, just walk and smell the flowers. Yeah, 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 I ain't got time for that. Now you just kind of, oh, man, those flowers, the, the air, oh, the fall, I can feel it in the air. Oh, it's just beautiful. It really is. And it's, you do, I don't, we just pay more attention to touch and sound and smell. And it just... I have so much more of an appreciation of everything um, because I do see it differently. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's great. Yeah. Um, Julie, something else that you wanted to kind of discuss with us on the program, and I'm I'm all for this because I am old enough to remember days off school for Remembrance Day, and and you have some thoughts that you'd like to share. I do. you know, Halloween, we're at Halloween now. We all know that come tomorrow, all the Christmas decorations are going to be appearing in the stores. But I think especially now with everything that's going on in the world, we really need to take that step back and pause and think and remember. Um, so many men and women have lost their lives um, to prevent what's going on right now in the world happening again and here we are and as a mother of a soldier um this is a scary time for a a lot of people it's it's unease um i can't imagine what it must be like for um people in israel and palestine but our children our mums and dads if you're a young child are, are on standby we have troops in latvia because of russia and ukraine and we really need to really focus on what Remembrance Day is and why we have it and what has happened and do what we can to help bring this to a peaceful resolution. Um, it's affecting all of us. It's, and it's, it's not good. It's just mm-hmm. not good. What would you like to see us do, Julie, as, as time goes on, I mean, I've always felt very strongly about the day off school and, and everybody starts wondering, well, what are people going to do with the day off or whatever? Um, and I think it's more of a respect thing in, in my head the, of, of uh-huh. what opportunity I have as a person um, that others don't. What would you like to see and what should people be doing? I'd like to see more people acknowledging Remembrance Day in whatever way they can. Um, get a hold of your local um, Canadian Legion. Uh, they have lawn signs for $15. They have a plethora of other items to um, support veterans um, that are linked to Remembrance Day, like, you know, poppy coffee mugs or um, apparel, whatever there is. 
Um, mm-hmm. But more importantly, just take that time, even if you can't get to a cenotaph, um, take the time at some point during the day just to reflect and remind yourself that, you know, this wasn't supposed to happen again. Mm. And um, we have to really, we've, we're still losing soldiers all over the world. We're still losing military members and give a thought for their families and children at this time. Yep, for sure. Absolutely, Julie. Julie, thanks for bringing that up, uh, especially Mm -hmm. as we go into it in 12 days. And wonderful to have you on the show and talk and uh, appreciate it. The best to you. We'll talk to you next month. And you. Thank you. Stay safe. Bye. You betcha. Happy Halloween from... uh, Pictou County, Nova Scotia, joining us for her community report. We do these Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesdays right here on Kelly and Romeo. So it's Halloween, and we've been talking about a lot of fun stuff and our own oral health. But let's also remember uh, the animal safety and welfare around Halloween and just this time of year in general. We're going to talk more about this with Chantelle Archambault, who is the communications director with the Vancouver Humane Society. We'll be back with that conversation on Kelly and Ramia. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Welcome back. It's Kelly and Rumia on AMI. Thank you for listening and or watching. Uh, we've been going through some Halloween traditions from around the world. We're starting to pick up a lot of these parallels as we read different uh, things that people do to celebrate or recognize or just have some plain fun around Halloween. So this next one comes from parts of Italy and it's called Fave de Morti. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Somebody will tell me. But anyways, in Italy, Fave de Morti cookies were once baked from fava beans, but now they're made from almonds, which obviously sounds more appetizing. They're traditionally eaten on All Saints Day, also the day on which dead relatives are uh, visiting us, and we, you know, recognize them. Sometimes dressed in black. In some parts of Italy, uh, men will send their fiancés boxes of these cookies, also containing an engagement ring. Do you see this? This is not the first time we've mentioned marriage and engagement, right? During one of these traditions associated with the Day of the Dead. Okay. In Rome, it's a popular day to pop the question. In Palermo, in Sicily, um, celebrates by sending children gifts from the dead, like sweets. And in return, people will leave gifts on the grave of their dead relatives as well. So there's a lot of this kind of circling around between uh, recognition of the dead and also popping the question. So I'm not sure what to make of that. Yeah, I don't know how romantic in some places people might see know. that. But uh, then again, is who it just am I the fear talk? of like, ooh. You know, life's a full circle. Let's start here kind of thing. Let's appreciate here. This is a good reminder. No. <laughs> good reminder. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, 
We're going to pause on that and start talking a little bit about uh, our responsibilities for wildlife and for animal welfare. The Vancouver Humane Society, which is what we're going to be checking in on now, is a registered uh, charity dedicated to um, preventing and reducing animal suffering and promoting the humane treatment of animals, especially by taking responsibility for animal suffering caused by human activities, of course. Mm. And Halloween is a very unusual and potentially stressful time of year for our pets and other wildlife because of course we are uh, you know very involved with Halloween inside and out so to talk more about this we're talking we're bringing on Vancouver Humane Society's communications director Chantelle Archambault to talk about tips that she has for a safe Halloween and to consider these things that we just said about wildlife and our own pets pets Chantelle thank you so much for coming on the show Thank you for having me. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Thank you. So what are some of these stressful hazards uh, for animals on Halloween? Do you care to like share some of these with us so we can uh, start somewhere? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Halloween can be a really fun holiday, but there are also a lot of stressful new, you know, sounds, sights, smells for our pets. And as you mentioned, uh, other animals like wildlife, like costumes they're not used to, trick-or-treaters coming to the door, fireworks uh, here in BC, of course. And there's also dangers from animals eating human treats that are left out mm. and certain decorations um, like pumpkins, ribbon. So it can be a really fun holiday, but there are also steps that we can take to make sure it's fun for everyone and doesn't add extra stress for animals. Okay, so let's get into that. How can we keep our pets safe? And of course, low stress, if we intend to answer the door to those trick-or-treaters out there. Yeah, um, great question. Well, there there will be a lot of noises tonight, um, mm -hmm. definitely from trick-or-treaters in certain places from fireworks. So if you can, uh, staying home with your pets is a really good idea. Being near you can calm your pet down, even if they don't feel like hanging out. Um, so you can give them a quiet, calm space where they can hide and rest. Uh, you can minimize noise by closing the windows and curtains and if you are handing out treats to trick-or-treaters, waiting for them so that they don't ring the bell either outside the door or by the door. Um, if you do have a dog, planning walks and potty training time early so they're not out when it's especially noisy. But if you do need to take out your dog to relieve themselves in the evening, it's a good idea to have a safe and secure harness so that they can't bolt if they get scared. Mm. That being said, it, it, it is better to be safe than sorry. So um, if your pet has an ID tag, you can make sure that they're wearing that in case they do get lost. Right. And also keeping human treats and wrappers out of reach of animals. A lot of Halloween treats can be toxic for pets. Um, if you're decorating using pet-friendly decorations and um, costumes for pets, not all, like, not all pets like costumes. So um, pay attention to signs of stress in your pets and don't force them into something that they're resisting. But if they are okay with wearing a costume, um, I know they can be really adorable. It's very tempting if they are okay with it. Make sure it's something that they can um, behave normally and that they can see and hear and move as they usually do. Um, and you know there are, there are gonna be a lot of new sounds and experiences tonight that they aren't used to. So you mm -hmm. being calm overall is gonna help them mm. be calm as well. Oh, that's such a fair point, right? Because our stress levels or the way that we're handling the day and especially the night as people are coming in and out, uh, trick-or-treating, um, that that kind of energy would probably be very helpful to think about consciously in how our pets are reacting. Absolutely. They definitely mirror us. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and and again, it's an exciting time for us. We get carried away. And I think sometimes we forget that our pet may not feel the same way or may get it over exuberant as well. And then we're calling the pet back saying, no, 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 leave the child alone, you know, because maybe your puppy's bigger and scaring the kids coming to the door because he just wants to say hi. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, no, you go on. Oh, no, I was going to say, you mentioned fireworks. Um, it's not just Halloween, but, you know, throughout the year when we have uh, days and um, traditions of fireworks, maybe if you can touch on how we can help our pets feel more safe around them, your position on them on fireworks, obviously, as well. Uh, but really, just when it's unavoidable and when the noises especially are unavoidable around us in our neighborhoods and things like that um, how do you say we deal oh certainly yeah as you mentioned fireworks um they can cause a lot of harm to animals if you share your home with a pet you probably already know that their their hearing is typically far more sensitive than ours is yeah so um, studies show that about a quarter of dogs are fearful of loud noises and fireworks are definitely one of the most common noise related fears. And then once they hear that frightened pets can start hiding in dangerous places, they can escape from the house or yard, um, they can get lost or hurt. So it can be quite dangerous. And wildlife, of course, as well, they, they do get frightened by fireworks. They don't understand what's going on with the loud noises and the flashes. So birds can panic and fly into cars and buildings. Animals can abandon their young in nests. Um, they can run into the road. So definitely um, quite frightening for them if you can avoid setting off fireworks uh, or participating in events that involve fireworks. That's definitely a recommendation. But as you said, sometimes it is unavoidable. Yeah. There are fireworks going on near you. So um, if you have a companion animal at home, keep them indoors if you can. Uh, as I mentioned before, you can plan potty breaks and walks early before the fireworks start happening. Mm. Um, have a secure harness in place if you do need to take them outside. You can also um, have a quiet, calm space where animals can hide. You can consider playing some quiet and calm music or white noise to drown out the fireworks sounds. Nothing too noisy. Um, you don't want it to be significantly louder than the normal noise level in your house would be. Um, also, if you can stay home with them, as I mentioned, being around their guardians often calms pets down, even if they don't feel like playing and petting. Um, if they do feel up to it, that is a great distraction that can help them feel safe and relaxed. But if they just want to hide quietly, uh, that's okay right. too. Mm. And I appreciate In you what you said about the calm slash quiet space or safe space. And sometimes it's not necessarily setting that up for the times that you're pet is stressed, but knowing where they will go hide or where they do like to go when they're tired or stressed out, right? Exactly. And just being near them is helpful there as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that sound. So something white noise enough to cover up some of that, the fireworks, because as you know, they're, they're going to do it. You can't go out and scream at everyone or get them and say, you guys can't be doing that. Um, can we talk about how to prepare for the absolute worst, like our pet escaping? Yeah, for sure. Um, so definitely in terms of pets getting lost, prevention is really key. So do be careful if you're opening doors, um, keep the windows closed, keep the, the windows and curtains shut. Uh, that can help minimize the noise and the flashing lights from outside. And cats that get particularly scared could bolt from loose screens. So um, keeping all of those, those exit points shut. Um, 
And if if you do need to go outside, keep a secure harness on. But as you said, sometimes the worst can happen. Um, it's not always preventable. So if your pet has an ID tag, uh, always make sure that they're they're wearing that. If you feel there's going to be loud noises that could spook them out of the house or out of the yard. Um, if they're microchipped, make sure that that information is updated and registered somewhere so that um, any place that you would be looking for them normally, you would be able to find them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it, sometimes it's just simple as um, you have cats in the house and you're opening and closing your door all night because of trick-or-treating, right? So it's just being mindful of where your pets are and, and how they are. Uh, I like to have my dog around my waist when I'm not sure how much door opening and closing there is gonna be. So some things like that can be very helpful also just routines. Definitely. Yeah. And um, if there are a lot of trick-or-treaters coming to the door and you are concerned about opening the door a lot, um, I did mention keeping your pet in a safe, quiet space, but also keeping them in a space where they, they can't access the door is really helpful. Mm. Um, if you have a dog, putting a gate up would be really good. Right. If you have a cat, right. um, keeping a door closed where they're, they're in a safe and secure room. Um, yeah. And the noise from the doorbell can be stressful as well from trick-or-treaters. Exactly. So if you are handing out candy, a good way to head that off is just um, kind of waiting outside with the candy or waiting by the door and and kind of opening it before people mm. ring. Um, doorbells, yeah. even when there aren't trick-or-treaters and other stressful situations, can be stressful for pets. Yep. So heading that off is a really good option. And it's yeah, like and tenfold. some pets want to be able to see you, right? And, and if they're okay, if they're okay with the costume, that's not bad either if you're outside and, and he or she can look through the window. Mm. Uh, Chantel, is there ways that, um, you know, we can keep track of how things are being uh, tracked around? You know, you talked a lot about the pets, but going back to some of the wildlife and uh, ingestion of our treats or wrappers or litter or whatever else is going on, even bits and pieces of costumes and masks, I'm assuming, that people can be very, we can be very careless about because we're just thinking trick-or-treating and that's pretty much it but there is a lot of wildlife around us so i'm curious about you know is there a way that um it, it, people keep track of that or a resource that keeps track of how wildlife is being treated especially around halloween post halloween i guess yeah um i would really reach out to your local wildlife rescues if you're concerned about that but there's definitely preventative measures that we can take um, as you mentioned, wrappers and parts of costumes, parts of fireworks, debris mm -hmm. on the ground um, will want to be cleaning up after the night or, or making sure that they're not falling on the ground in the first place. Um, so they can be frightened by fireworks, so not setting those off and not make, making sure those debris don't get into the environment. And also pumpkins um, are one that a lot of people yes. don't think of, but it is important to remember that those are a food items, so they can attract animals like bears, and that can lead to human-wildlife conflict. So um, to prevent that, you can bring your pumpkin inside at night, or you can display it indoors if you live in an area that has lots of wildlife activity, like in a window or something. Um, but if you are displaying a pumpkin outside, you never know what animals are going to be getting into that. There could be squirrels or other animals nibbling on it. So make sure you're avoiding using toxic substances that some people use for preserving carved pumpkins like bleach or petroleum oh, yeah. jelly. And if you do need to carve and um, preserve a pumpkin, you can use other solutions like a diluted vinegar solution, 10 parts water, one part vinegar is just as effective. Great. Yeah. 
and and when we're talking wildlife too, I just thought about how you know sometimes we we throw away saying like oh I don't live near green space or not close enough for things like that. But honestly, you know even just animals that visit our backyards, right? There are lots of reasons why little with little to no uh, awareness from us. Sometimes uh, we still have a lot of visitors from our friends. So thank you so much for all of these tips, Chantel. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay. Happy, Happy Halloween. Halloween. Jinx. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We were speaking with Vancouver uh, Humane Society's communications director, Chantel Archambault, and talking specifically about preserving the welfare of wildlife and our pets during Halloween. Lots to think about, especially around the fireworks stuff, which is um, very much, you know, back burner conversation around Halloween. After the break, we have our book club review. It's the last Tuesday of the month. It happens to fall on Halloween, so we chose Holly by Stephen King. And by we, I'm talking about Greg David. He's going to join us to review the book with us. We'll be right back. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. We're back with you. This is the Halloween edition of Kelly and Ramya. Kelly is uh, the man eaten by a tiger, a.k.a. the tiger himself, and me, Cruella. So we're going through these traditions around the world of people doing different things around Halloween, and we've moved on to peeling apples to predict your future. I've never heard of this, but apparently this is a very popular uh, thing to be doing in UK and Ireland. And although apparently this is not as popular anymore in 2023, because I guess we're not eating as many apples anymore, uh, people do still take part in this. So on Halloween, people peel an apple and then they throw a slice of the peel behind them. And then the slice of the peel will curl into the shape on the floor. And whatever that shape is will make the first initial of any future spouse. Oh, kind of sounds like cootie catcher life. That's and what happens with the wax, right? Because remember, they're stored in wax for a year. According oh, to your yeah. So okay. That's why. Well, that's what the wax is very helpful for, obviously. In Scotland, people will sometimes te- uh, peel stalks from kale and use them in the same way. I guess so. I guess you can do it with carrots as well. Now I'm just tossing in my own potatoes. Thank you, Irene. Potatoes, Sweet maybe. potatoes. I haven't seen a, car- I haven't, yeah, a carrot. I don't know if it'll bend. Wash. I don't know. Maybe add some wax to it beforehand. All right. Yep. We'll ask our next guest. So it can get its prediction together. Yeah. We need some more opinions on this. Uh, it's time for the Kelly and Ramia audiobook club aka book club this is our chance and yours to really get into the uh, authors the narrators the books that you love or don't love and today's book for discussion is the latest release by stephen king it's called holly it was released this year it was recommended to us by greg david who joins us now first of two appearances in two days greg how's it going happy halloween <laughs> yeah happy halloween to, to you trying. as well i uh, i love your costumes you look great thank you thank you sir uh, have you heard of the uh, apple peeling thing? Uh, no, I hadn't heard of the apple peeling thing. When you first started talking about that, I thought about the throwing the salt over your yeah. shoulder. But, of course, that's a bad luck, good luck thing. Uh, but, no, I never heard about the the peel. And, yeah, I mean, there's so there's so many things. The next time you're making soup, just throw all of those <laughs> vegetable peelings over your shoulder and see which way they uh, see which way they fall. What shapes they see, land. See how many weddings yeah. will be in, your sto- in store for you. Can you imagine yeah, and- the interpretations <laughs> of the shapes? 
It's a C. No, well, it's a U. No, it's a V. Whose name and, is it spelling other, out? And what if you're already in a relationship? Oh. Is it only for single people? Yeah, don't do it if you're in a relationship. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, don't start. I think that would like be doomed, especially if you threw everything over, Greg. It'd be like that old Flintstones episode where the alphabet soup spells out. Yeah, that's right. Oh, we could do it with spaghetti. <laughs> All right, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Greg, fun. we're talking what about Holly eventually, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> you said you binged this book over a weekend. It was one of the, the great catalysts of us um, being excited about the book to begin with. You're a big fan of Stephen King. How did you enjoy it as a Stephen King novel? I, I really, really liked it. Um, it, uh, Like you said, it, it took... it. I consumed it in a weekend, and that's the case with all the Stephen King books when they come out now. I try my best to make them last a long time, but I was immediately engaged by the the story. Uh, you know, we're going to get more into the conversation about this character of, of Holly Gibney and where she came from. But yeah, it was really good as a standalone book, too. I don't think you need to know her from the other books that she's tied into mm -hmm. uh, to enjoy Holly as a standalone book. Did you, though? Did you know Holly and uh, were looking forward to it because you know the character from, what is it, the Mr. Mercedes books? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Mr. Mercedes trilogy of novels. She was first introduced in Mr. Mercedes, and she was helping a retired detective named Bill Hodges, who was investigating into uh, into an accident. I don't want, I don't want to give too much away, mm. but he's 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 trying to, he's, he's hunting down somebody, and somebody that's evil, because it's Stephen King, and Holly Gibney is helping him do that. And through the course of those three books, she becomes a larger character in those books, and she's actually in uh, in a standalone book uh, called The Outsider um, that was also made into the, the Mercedes books were made into the TV series and The Outsider was made into a fantastic and creepy miniseries on yep. HBO and so she's a standalone character in that investigating and so again this, uh, this happens in the book Holly where she's on her own and doing her own detective work and yet it's been really interesting even Stephen King has said you know she was a secondary character and he kept going back to her because he thought well, what, what's she up to now now what's she doing now yeah. and so he liked her yeah and so i became a, a big fan of 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 the character and so when holly came out i was really excited to read about what was happening in holly's life next and it turns out a lot of horrible things yeah a lot and of horrible that things after the the miniseries hbo did that timing wise it would be after holly the one we just read uh, yeah. The uh, yes, I'm not sure. You mean you're you're speaking specifically about the outsider in this case, yeah, right, Kelly? Thinking, yeah, I'm just thinking of the order because of some of the things that went on um, yep. it, within the book and continuing. You know, um, her answering the phone at the end, for example, and the 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 you know everything that comes from there. It just seems like a leaping off point. Mm. So I'm assuming Stephen King went back and did more. You know, yep. because we don't see her retire. It's we're giving right. the direct. She's not relieving. That's a fun fan right, thing to do, to kind of sequence mm -hmm. the books with the series and Yeah, even everything. though you don't have to have, mm -hmm. like, and I think that's a clever yeah. writer's thing too, to make sure that you can pick up any of the books and read it and feel included. Yeah. And, and tie and, it yeah, back or not. You, yeah, and if you, though you like, you go back and say, I want to read the first ones. Yeah, because Bill... Yeah, the yep. in, the other investigator who you know plays a big part in Holly's mental, like in in her emotional and uh, kind of an upbringing into who she is yep. now. She mentions him so much, but I have no clue who he is because I hadn't read any no. of the other books with Holly in him. But and, I'm and very there's curious. Great references now. to yeah. incidents that happened to other characters exactly. prior this, mm. to this one.
Yeah, you're right. You know, like like I said off the top, this certainly serves as a standalone. But one of the things that Stephen King calls his fans are constant readers, and that means that you read all all of his things and, and watch all of his things. And the thing that he does in all of his books is he sprinkles in little Easter eggs. And so, if you're a fan and you know the mythology in all of the books that he's read, you'll catch a character name or yeah. a little or, or a little reference point in there that just you know makes you giggle a little bit because it's a little in joke to all the fans exactly. out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's great yeah. that way. He keeps in touch yeah. so well. Even uh, until writing, even writing, he'll make fun of writing and styles and stuff uh, in a lot of his book. There's some reference and to some of the things that he's been accused of or or that we know are part mm, of Stephen, Stephen who King culture. Who he is or what other books were. Exactly. So I'm, I want to get to that part as well. But one big thing we have to bring up is COVID-19. This was written yeah. through COVID-19 times, right? 2020, 2021. And uh, I want to talk to you, Kels, about your impressions of how he represented COVID, how he represented society, different characters, different perspectives, opinions, you know, pro-vaccination, anti-vaccination, all that stuff. How did it sit with you? I felt that Stephen King was speaking for himself um, and part of it. I, I recognized that he also had everyone else's angle out there. Everyone that all of us have listened to, whether you are an anti-vaxxer of it, not trusting a conspiracy theorist, whatever you may want to say, or that person that never goes far from you know their, their mask, bumps elbows and so on. Everything I felt was represented. But Obviously, Holly, who is definitely concerned about it, um, you got that impression, you got that feel, but it didn't go crazy over it. You know, you maybe had the off the remark made that person, you know, de demeaning her because she's like that. But you also had her kind of, yeah, that's OK. I'll keep my mask on. Thank you. Mm. you are you vaxxed? No, I'll keep my mask on. Thanks. You don't need it on. How many of us heard that? Oh, I've been vaxxed. You don't need it on. Or I, you know, well, you know, it's only just a ridiculous made up thing. You don't need your mask on. Every angle was taken care of mm. that way or referred to, shall I say. And it was such a big deal that he wrote an author's note, right? Like a post note about it Very and much. how important it was that we understand what he's representing. Greg, any thoughts on your end? Yeah. Um, and actually, that was my least favorite part about the book um, because uh, because you know, he kept going back to it. Um, you know, he talked, uh, you know, Donald Trump was mentioned in the book as well. And, you know, when I, I read a book, I like to kind of escape to that fantasy world and kind of ignore the real world out there. This is, and I'm not saying that it really took away from the book. That's just my personal preference. I think this is probably the most timely or time set book of Stephen King's where he's saying, Very okay, this so. is the time range that this is happening in. Because when you go and read this book, you you will now remember those times, mm. right? It was only a couple yep. of years ago for us. So yeah, I mean, that was that was a good part and the bad part about the book, in my opinion. Yep. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of that reference that you felt, as you said, Greg, often we can't necessarily tell where or when. You know, you have yep. some idea, but there was more of a directness and almost more of him making sure to uh, unabashedly say, you know, I'm vaxxed. This is the way right. I feel about it. Mm. I make yeah. no apologies. I'll put it in the book. You can sit here and swear at me all you want. And I think that's an established writer, comfortable, who doesn't need you to like or buy his book. Yeah. Yeah, and great point. To be fair, like he's he's represented the, the other side of it as well with the professors and, you know, people sure. who are... Like, oh, seriously, like we're doing all this. But uh, Stephen King 
is notorious for taking uh, bits and pieces of this historical time frame, whatever he's writing in, and really make that concept clear, right? Really paint a picture of that timeline for you. I'm remembering the Green Mile and the kinds of, uh, you know, bits and pieces he puts in detail so that you understand where you are in history and location. Yep. So. And in five or six years, seven years, let's say, we're all going to remember that. That's right. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. not going to be It as, won't feel so close. Oh, for God's sake, yeah. this mm, again. Yeah. But I will say, the first two, three chapters, I was like, can we stop with the COVID-19, <laughs> please? Oh, my gosh. Okay. I love when... Um, Stephen King adds characters who write. Uh, Barbara, Victoria, the professors, there's all kinds of elements of writing here. The poetry was significant, obviously, but we get the discussions about good writing, we get it about the philosophical around poetry, um, and you, Greg, being probably the person around the table who reads the most Stephen King, is this typical for him to add characters who write to put down discussions of writing, weave it into the books themselves? Yeah, it turns out that the answer is yes. And I thought no. But when mm. I started to do a little bit of history, uh, Ben Mears in Salem's Lot is a writer. Jack Torrance in The Shining is a writer. Bill Denborough mm -hmm. in It is a writer. Yep. Uh, in Misery, it's all about Paul Sheldon, who is an author that's killed off a favorite character. Um, the Dark Half, secret, the short story Secret Window, Secret Garden, the novel Desperation, the novel Bag of Bones, uh, the novel Lizzie's Story, and the Dark Tower also. Mm -hmm. Stephen King himself is mentioned as a character in the Dark Tower. So yeah, when you go back and look, there are many, many of his books where his main character is a writer of some form. So yeah, you know, I... It's uh, interesting you say it because yeah. I find writers, the uh, when I read stuff and people reference writers, there's a list of character or occupations characters and books tend to have. And I think it really, in the case of the types of stuff Stephen King writes, it's nice to have those characters because they can be available to the writer at any time because... They're a writer. They don't have a nine-to-five job necessarily. It's the same yep. as detectives in some way, right? They don't sleep. They work around. You can put them into so many circumstances because they don't have a regular schedule like the 95% of the people who would be reading these. Yeah, and it's, it's always about right. Yeah, and it's always right what you know, right? And mm, he's a writer, right. so he's writing what he knows. So, uh, yeah. and and uh, and interestingly, almost every one of those characters that I just mentioned, or those books where a writer was a character in the book, they're all male. Um, I think the only one was the Tommyknockers, where it was a female, uh, yes. a female writer. So, yeah, interesting. Right. Yeah, and here yep. Barbara's female, and it's it is Victoria, right? When thinking of the poet. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, but it, it, you said, you know, write what you know, but I also think it's write what you don't know because I, I don't know how challenging it is for him not uh, pulling um, or putting words in Stephen King's mouth. But, you know, poetry is clearly not what he writes, but there's so much mm -hmm. poetry in how he writes. And it, when I'm assuming that when he's writing a character uh, who's a poet, who's uh, talking about poetry in such philosophical and conceptual ways, that that must be challenging as a writer for him to pull that kind of stuff together. It's interesting that it's you got... bring that up. Now, he he does write poetry. Mm. Um, he has written poetry. I don't like his poetry, oh. <laughs> uh, but that's okay. That's just my opinion. But Tabitha King, his wife, is a poet as well. Oh. And so there might be, you know, there it might have been a little bit of that as well. She always proofreads his books too. And, of does. course, always, well, you know, there's that yeah. she's 
she's that critic across the way. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, obviously he, you know, would have asked her questions about that and, and made her, you know, take a stab at saying, listen, are these characters right? Is, is, are the facts that I'm getting correct about poetry or, or any of the stuff that I'm assuming about poetry correct? So that's what I'm what thinking. I what I find about his writing, it's timing. It's the way the ironies that you find as things go along. You know, it starts to feel, this one started to feel like the whole soap opera thing. Well, if this person did this at this moment, we wouldn't be continuing on. But the timing didn't allow for it. But his his accuracy, his playing, and where you'd think, okay, Barbara's going to get over there and help and, and yeah. be the one to discover. Yeah. He holds it off in a comfortable way where you're like, oh, but timing, you say, oh, no, she's doing that. Why is she laying down to take a nap when Holly's in this cage? Mm. Yeah. But but yep. it, it's but it was comfortable. It wasn't, oh, this is stupid. Never, never with Stephen King that way. I do enjoy, too, because Stephen King has said um, in On Writing, his guide to writing or however he called it, that mm -hmm. it's not about plot necessarily it's about a situation like he writes around a situation right and yep. so in this one um the situation is what it is we got the the missing people and the professors but mm -hmm. he even though it's named holly and she's our protagonist there's so much that other characters share in the victory and the glory and the investigation right and she says it herself near the end um but also like he really commits to that. He commits to this is not just Holly. The the fitting of the puzzle pieces, everyone or most people take some responsibility for it, including the mother, for example, at the end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, it really is interesting too. And I think that's the buildup of those other characters, Greg. Right, that we know that some of the characters have also been. And when Holly was a less of a character in the other books, this was more forward with them. They were more present. Yeah, you're right. You, you know, the, the book says Holly on the cover, but definitely there's a lot of heavy lifting being done by all of those supporting characters. And 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 I, I love that. And I think that's a strength of Stephen King. He's yeah. able to build these worlds and these characters that you care about. So when they do, sh when you do shift to another scene, like in a movie or in a television show, but in the book, um, you're equally as engaged in those characters as well and care mm. what's happening to them. Yeah, like, I mean, That's literally, right. she was stuck in a cell and everybody else was trying to figure out what the heck doing was everything. going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She was incapacitated. Um, awesome. Great. Thank you so much. even though she saved herself, she still needed that help to save oh, yeah. her for real. For to be saved. Exactly. Yes. Greg, thank you. Thanks Appreciate so much for having me, guys. Appreciate always. You too. Uh, we were speaking with Greg David. He's our communications specialist at AMI. Like He never comes on the show, so you might be wondering, who is he? So I thought I'd let you know. Uh, he'll be back tomorrow to talk television, and we're talking Friends and the passing of uh, late Matthew Perry. But here's the book for next month. I am the one who is recommending it. It's called uh, Women Talking, and it's by Miriam Toes. That's T O E. W.S. And it's released in 2018. It's general fiction, Christian fiction, family stories. That's how it's categorized on Sela. Speaking of Sela, it is available in human narrated audio. The sun rises on a quiet June morning in 2009. August Epps sits alone in the hellest of a barn, anxiously bent over his notebook. He writes quickly, aware that his solitude will soon be broken. Eight women, ordinary grandmothers, mothers, and teenagers, yet to August, each one is extraordinary. And they will climb the ladder into the loft and the day's true task will begin. This task will be simple and subversive. August, like the women, is a traditional Mennonite and he's been asked to record a secret conversation. 
Gradually, as we hear the women's vivid voices console, tease, admonish, regale, and debate each other, we piece together the reason for the gathering. They have 48 hours to make a life-altering choice on behalf of all the women and children in the colony, and like a vast night sky coming into view behind a bright sparks of their voices, we learn about the devastating events that have led to this moment and this decision-making. Incredible sounding book. We can't wait to pick it up and discuss it on the last Tuesday of November, which is the 28th. We hope you'll read it with us and give us your comments and help us review. Taking a break, we come back, we wrap up the show. We got one more montage of descriptive photos for you. We'll give you our closing moment and we'll find out what's going on with now with Dave Brown, the Wednesday edition. We'll be back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Here we have the Holman family. Amanda Holman wearing a brown and white squirrel costume. The background is trees with yellow leaves. Son Cameron wearing an inflatable black and white zebra costume and the background is snowy mountains with snow on trees and a pink sunset over the mountains. And to finish up, a photo of both Cameron and Amanda with pumpkins. All the backgrounds are photoshopped. We also have grandchildren, Kaysen and Liliana Hooker, and the picture is at First Baptist of Dalton. Kaysen is dressed up in a red and blue Spider-Man costume. Liliana is dressed in a blue and red Wonder Woman outfit that also has the classic Wonder Woman gold headwear and gauntlet. We're back with you as we wrap up the Halloween edition of Kelly and Ramia. So cool, Kels. These are your friends, no? Oh, yeah. They're down in Georgia. And guys, thank you so much for putting that in there. Love you. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Big shout out. And thanks for the transparency of this was Photoshop because I was imagining, wow. Wow. It really the hills, took these the trips out here. I know. <laughs> All right. Well, we're wrapping up the Tuesday edition of Kelly and Ramia. You can always check out your favorite parts and share all the segments out with your friends uh, by going to check for and search for Kelly and Ramia on your favorite podcast platform. You can do the same with Now with Dave Brown. That's our morning show on AMI-tv at 9 a.m. Eastern time on weekdays. Speaking of which, Kels, tell us what's coming up on the Wednesday edition of the show, also the first episode of November. Right on. Chris Beasley from Community Living Toronto will discuss the takeaway from the organization's Emerging Possibilities Conference. Contributor Ankamozi will let us know about how to use a carbon footprint calculator. And John Lecky, he's going to give us the details of a story where a small rural town in Saskatchewan is dealing with a non-conspiracy group currently living there, all starting at 9 a.m. on AMI-tv. That sounds like a fantastic lineup. Yes, check them out and check us out at 2 p.m. Eastern as well. We'll give you a teaser for what's coming up on the show very shortly. But uh, hey, Kels, thinking of checking out some haunted places to visit. I know we're wrapping up Halloween, but these things are available all year round. If you happen to find yourself in London, England, <laughs> I was checking out some of these incredible places. Uh, West Norwood Cemetery can catacombs in West Norwood is Ooh. really interesting. If it gets to uh -huh. haunted places in London, it doesn't get more haunted than this. It's a network of sub 
subterranean vaults and dark passages, which are the final resting place for around 90 different souls who died in the Victorian era. And as you can imagine, Ooh. it's a fairly creepy place, which is rarely Ball open to the, the public. House of Usher. Wow, mm. original. Mm. All right. Let's find out what's coming up on the Wednesday edition of Kelly and Romeo when we will be back as ourselves tomorrow. We're talking about Matthew Perry. He passed away over the weekend, and he's a huge part of Friends, the TV show, of course, so Greg David's going to bring it up on our TV talk. How do we get started with saving money, and how do we stay on track? We get into Cash Saving 101 with financial advisor Ryan Chin. Happy and safe trick-or-treating to you. We'll catch you back tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern for AMI-TV and 4 p.m. Eastern for AMI-audio. I think of the variety of Halloweens I've spent as a person of my age. <clears throat> anyway, you know, I, th I went to the blind school, so we sometimes had a party on Halloween because we couldn't go out trick-or-treating as a group. Just too many people when you're at an institutional school like that. But when I was at home, if we had it on a Friday night or a Saturday or so, anyway, when I could do that, it was tremendous. Putting the costume on. We lived in a townhouse complex, so I'd cycle around, get candies from in there. Everybody participated. Head down one side of the street. We'd go down to the complex uh, down the hill from us, cycle around there, cross the street, start working up the other side. We'd bring pillowcases to put the candies in. One year we were foolish enough to leave a pillowcase down because somebody had to go to the bathroom. And me being the blind guy left, some kids stole our bags. So we still had bags, like pillowcases. My mom was furious. We lost those pillowcases. And up we went. Um, and my sister, I remember, was taking myself and a few of the neighbor kids. Because at that point, my parents, the neighbor parents, really liked to be there to hand out candy. You know, I guess if we were going around getting candy, that's the deal they felt in their minds to justify it with our neighbors is, hey, we'll give out candy. And it made it tremendous back then. As an adult, I've had to spend time in Toronto working, moving around the big city. I've spent that time there and uh, even, you know, I'm trying to think, did I do some TV shoots or go out to events on, on Halloween? And I, I, off the top of my head, can't quite remember any. They might not have been that memorable, but certainly did different Halloween-related stuff in the community in Toronto. And back in London have just watched but see it change. I mean, I've done the handing out of candy in the lobby, and as I've mentioned, I'm not the greatest hander-outer because I tend to miss the bags, but been able to stand there dressed up and have some fun like that. And um, for me, it's always been a great time. Then doing this show and the fact that we launched this show on Halloween really was tremendous seven years ago. When we did in 2016, it was so much fun um, to have your first episode and have the feel of Halloween. And subsequently, we've done different things related to it, including sitting there scaring the heck out of everybody that came in from the staff, because as we've mentioned, AMI is pretty big on Halloween, and we've had people come in to announce winners of contests or just talk about Halloween, and we rigged up some cool gadgets, such as a spider that as they came into the studio would drop on them. We got some real candid reactions, shall we say. Anyway... Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. Halloween.